So hop over to 1 Corinthians 3. Hey, thanks guys. It's good to see you this morning. Um, wow. Okay, 1 Corinthians 3. We'll go ahead and get started. A lot of us, we, you know, we've been talking about, uh, talking through the book of Genesis, which has been incredible. And uh, we'll continue with that next week on Mother's Day. We'll pick back up in Genesis with a, a story that's actually very motherly and that'll, that'll work quite well on Mother's Day. Uh, but for today, we're going to have a special lesson uh, on the, the theme of gratitude as we have our gratitude potluck today. And as we celebrate, I know there's been so much sacrifice in the church every year. There's so much sacrifice to be able to give in addition to what you already give, um, to be able to fund things like campus ministers here in Charlottesville, to be able to give to our brothers and sisters all over the world who just don't have what we have. And so uh, today we're talking a little bit about gratitude, uh, and we're going to uh, look at the, the scriptures in 1 Corinthians 3. And I think something that people in the first century felt that we also can feel today, which is something called imposter syndrome. And uh, imposter syndrome is the idea of being afraid constantly, uh, maybe irrationally even, that's, that you'll be exposed as a fraud. That if people really knew who you were, uh, if, if they could really see who you were, uh, that you would be caught. You would be exposed as a liar, a fraud, that you're not good enough. And even a lot of times, even if there are a lot of results or fruits in your life that maybe show that you're doing quite well or that people feel that way, you still maybe feel like, no, that, that's just luck. That's not me. Uh, that's somebody else's doing. And we can have this imposter syndrome in the church as well, regardless of, of where we are. Um, it, can be, uh, we, we, it can kind of be how we grade ourselves uh, as disciples or even as people. And we can, it, we can do it even kind of in the way of honor within the church. And honor is not a word we use a ton anymore, but it's the same word as this idea of self-respect or... Um, or respect to, to respect somebody else's to honor that person. Or to have self-respect is to really kind of feel like you have honor in yourself. This was a very huge notion back in the first century. And it's one that's still happening today. For example, maybe you come into church and maybe there's this fear of, man, if people really saw what kind of father I am. They saw how I, how I talked to my kid this morning. Then I would just be exposed as, I'm no Christian. I'm no disciple. I'm, I'm not enough. If they knew what kind of mother I was. If they knew... Um, what I was doing, maybe if you're a teenager, if, you, if they knew how, if people at church knew how I was at school, if they knew what I've done, if they knew how I've really acted, I would be exposed. I, you know, they would see what kind of person I really am, that I am, I'm nothing. And it could be for a, a young professional or someone, if, if, you know, if people really knew um, how I, how, what I did this weekend, if people really knew my lack of quiet times, if people really knew how little I pray, if people really knew the last time I was in a Bible study with somebody who ended up getting baptized, man. And we can come into church and come into meetings of the body with all this anxiety yeah. and all this fear. And, and, and even in the way we talk to each other and the way we interact, we can kind of dress it up. I'm doing well. Things are good. We put the, we put the good stuff up front and we, we try to get through service, hoping that people are get through even the week or even sometimes get through our lives. Just trying to make sure people don't see who we really are. And uh, it's actually kind of uh, common in dreams. I don't know, this is a pretty popular dream, the dream of exposure, but the dream where maybe you're in a classroom setting or you're around your peers and friends and uh, people start laughing and you're kind of like, why are they laughing? This is weird. And then sort of in your mind's eye of your dream, the camera zooms out and you're, you're in your underwear. 
and everyone's laughing at you and you run out of the room and then you wake up. You know, it's kind of like a, a popular dream, but it's a dream of I've been exposed. If, if people are laughing at me. People are, if they knew who I really was. There's another common dream that I have where I, have, I learned in my dream that I have a final in a class that I decided to like skip a few times, but a few times turned into too many times. And then I'm realizing, wow, I've been skipping class for months and I have a final tomorrow. How could I have done that? How could I have forgotten? I'm stressed. And, and then in the dream, I'm thinking, how can I get by? How do I have to cheat? Do I have to, how, what do I, how can I get through? It's funny how you still have like nightmares from college days to the rest of your life. College uh, leaves an indelible mark on all of us, but it is scarring, uh, which is maybe the point. Um, so but it's this dream of like, I've been exposed. Oh no, if I take the test where they find out what I know, they'll find out that I in fact know nothing. And so we all can feel this imposter syndrome and we feel it in regard to our spiritual walk as well. And a lot of us can ask the question of, who am I? Who am I? Who am I really? Who is Drew? Who, who am I? What, what have I really done? And a lot of this is because we live in a world that's results motivated. And uh, a lot of what we do is results motivated. Um, You know, we have sayings like um, close, but no cigar. Like, eh, you're close, but no cigar. You know, close only counts in horseshoes and hand grenades, right? Eh, You you almost made it. I remember whenever whenever I asked my my AP history teacher in, in high school for if people ever asked him to get like a bump up, you get like a 79 or 79.9 or something. You'd ask, they'd ask him, can I get the, the letter grade bumped up? And he would say, if a plane needs to fly 20,000 feet to clear an obstacle and only flies 19,999, did it make it? Wow. And then we usually go, you know, no, it doesn't make it. And then he would say, and he just walk away. That was kind of his response. That was very results motivated. Right? That was results motivated. Like, you didn't, you didn't make it. And everything in our life, everything in the world is results motivated. Yeah. Um, and then that leads to a, a world where we're even being deceitful because the process of what we're doing becomes less important than the end result. And then the ends justifies the means. It doesn't matter how I do it. I just need the result. If I get the result, then I'll be enough. If I get the result, then I'll be the, we, we don't really live in a world that says great job. I mean, we have, you know, like participation trophies, you know, for, for, for younger kids. You know, I remember, I don't think I ever got a participation trophy. I always got like, um, like most improved, uh, which was like a way of saying you were really bad at first and now you're less bad. Um, that's how I took it as a young man, but I was a results motivated young man. You know, I was like, I want the MVP. I remember at summer camp in Dallas, we had a camp like we have in Philly and they used, they don't do it anymore because it caused all kinds of havoc, but they had camper of the week. And um, my sister got it like two years in a row, my older sister, who's angelic. And I was trying so hard to get Camper of the Week, but I, I did not ever get Camper of the Week. And you got this plaque and like, anyway, that was years ago. But we live in this like, I re- you really want the results. We really want to have the end. And in, in church, and in our relationship with God, it's interesting how we do this. When we're results motivated in our relationship with God, and maybe you're not a disciple yet. Maybe you are a disciple. Well, we, we have this mindset either way. Um, and it manifests itself in a couple ways. There's, when we, results motivated, there's a fear of exposure and there's an insecurity. And when there's an insecurity, we begin to be deceitful. Deceitful is telling half-truths or only telling part of the story because we know that if we tell the whole story, we might be viewed a certain way. We might feel shame. We might feel guilt. We might feel like we failed. If my mom really knew what I did, she would, 
she would feel let down. I would let her down. If my dad really knew, if my wife or my husband or my kids or if my coworkers or if my friends really knew. And sometimes if God really knew. We can say, even in our prayers, you know, even as, as ridiculous as it sounds, it sort of reminds us of Adam and Eve where God's like, where are you, Adam? And he's like, nowhere, you know, behind the bush. Like, uh, we, we try to hide from God even. We deceitful even toward God. Because we don't, and, and a lot of times, we don't even want to go there because we don't want to be aware of what's really going on. You know, uh, we can answer things like, I don't want to answer that question because if I answer that question, I'll realize kind of what I've been doing this whole time. That these last several years have been just scary. They've been self-focused. Uh, there's been lies all over the place. There's, and so we, 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 have a, we can add this results mindset to church and to God. Um, and it can really kill us because then we, we allow the image to shape um, our relationships instead of vulnerability and authenticity. It's amazing how incredible vulnerability is, but how difficult vulnerability is. To really let somebody in to really share and when we have this imposter syndrome, uh, it leads to fear of exposure and insecurity. Um, and that, in turn, leads to a couple things. It's interesting here in 1 Corinthians 3, verse 5, um, the context is, is that the church began to kind of hitch their wagon to the star of a bunch of leaders. They're like, I really like uh, uh, this leader. I really like Rob Jeffers. We have the Rob Jeffers Church of Christ over here. And I really like Jim Sibula, so the Jim Sibula Church of Christ over here. And I really like Monique you know, Scott, so I have the Monique Scott Church of Christ over here. So everyone kind of found their, their person, and they hitched their, 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 their wagon to that star. And Paul begins to say, as he writes in 1 Corinthians 3, 5, what, after all, is Apollos? Interesting, he doesn't say who. He says what? What is Apollos? What, what is Paul? Only servants through whom you came to believe as the Lord assigned to each his task. I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God has been making it grow. So neither the one who plants nor the ones who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. The one who plants and the one who waters have one purpose, and they will each be rewarded according to their own labor. For we are co-workers in God's service. You are God's field, God's building. So Paul does something interesting, something that we do, although I think Paul does it a bit different. He goes, what, what, what is Apollos? Apollos was one of the other guys who was pretty uh, effective in his leadership. And Paul goes, what is Apollos? What is Paul? We're just servants. And in fact, if you keep reading, he goes, what are, what are we? We're nothing. He goes from servants to nothing. We're nothing. And Paul's making a certain point, but I think we can get confused and do the same thing. And we hide behind the question of who am I? I'm just, I'm just nothing. I'm nothing. And the trick with that is that it looks a lot like humility. Right. Wow, that guy's nothing. That's, you know, he's, he's like Jesus. But sometimes the, I'm just nothing. I'm nothing. I can't. I'm just nothing. That's just an excuse to hide. A lot of times in faithlessness and laziness. Because the person who says, I'm nothing. I'm nothing. I can't. I can't do that. I can't read my Bible. I can't pray. I can't. You, you stop the relationship because you feel like, well, I'm not enough. And sometimes when we're results driven, it's amazing how quickly our relationship with God erodes. Yeah. Because we do so, have you ever done this before? You think sharing your faith doesn't work anyway. Reaching out to a stranger, 
about Jesus and having them come over to my house and study the Bible over the course of several weeks or months or years and then converting that person and then teaching them to obey everything over the course of several more years? That, that's not, that doesn't work. So you know what I'm going to do? I'm not going to do it because it doesn't work. So the ends have justified the means. Your results, you're so focused on results, you've stopped even trying the process. We do it all the time with different things. Why even try to study the Bible? Especially if you're not a Christian, you're not a disciple yet. Why even try to study the Bible? I'm not going to make it. I'm not going to be enough. I'm not, I can't be that person. I can't be Jenny. She's so in touch with her feelings. I'll never be that. I can't be Stephen. He's so intellectual. I'll never be that. You know, I can't be Chanel. She's so kind and affectionate and self-serving. I could never be Chanel. So let me just, you know what? I'm not even going to try. I'm not going to try. Because I can't, I can't be that. I'm nothing. But it's, it's not humility. It's faithlessness. And it's really just retreating into laziness. And it, it's a really, really tricky lie that we buy into from Satan. And it's a big reason why a lot of people go, I don't want to become a Christian because I'm just not going to, I'm not going to make it. I don't want to strive for purity. I don't want to confess my sin because every time, last time I confessed, it didn't go well or the person didn't respond well or they didn't give me really astute Greek level feedback. They didn't know everything about me. So, you know, I'm just not going to confess anymore because it didn't go well last time. You know how results driven we are. Everything. And so our whole life becomes about trying to project the end result. And that's a stressful, stinking life. It's an anxious life. It's the life that the world has. And I think a lot of us were attracted to Jesus Christ because we saw something different in Jesus. Not because we saw more of the same. If you want a guilt-driven, results-motivated mindset, just go out to any other extracurricular activity or any club or take any job or join any other religion. Because they'll, they'll do that. But there's something different here. And I don't know if you noticed it, but there's something special in this passage that's incredibly inspiring. Because I think we're asking the wrong question. The question we ask too much, too much. And it, if it's in our head all the time, then every time we think it, it just reinforces it. Yes. Every time we think, who am I? Who am I? Who am I? I'm nothing. I'm nothing. I'm not, I'm not enough. I can't do it. I'm, I'm just, I'm not charismatic. I'm not smart. I'm not spiritual. I'm not. I'm a bad prayer. I'm a bad. I'm no good. I'm no good. I'm no good. I'm no good. If you think that over and over and over again, every time you think it, you're casting a vote for that thought. You're casting a vote for that candidate. And you're voting, 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 voting. And all of a sudden you have this, you're driven by this. But we ask him the wrong question. The question is not, who am I? The question is, whose am I? And when we begin to think of the question, whose am I? We do something special because Paul does something incredible here. He says, listen, I didn't do much. And by the way, neither did Apollo. We watered, we planted. Sure, we had our own task, but God has been making it grow. God causes growth. God is the one who brings growth. And he says, we will all be rewarded according to our bottom line. No, he doesn't. We will all be re re rewarded according to our economic output. We will all be rewarded according to how many things we have. We will all be. No, we will not. Right. Come on, Drew. And you will not even be rewarded according to your performance as a Christian. Right. You will be rewarded according to your labor. That's beautiful. That's a beautiful thing. Because it says the ends doesn't matter because you can't control the ends. Yeah. You don't cause growth. You cannot cause growth. You cannot by studying the Bible really, really hard and well and strong, become a perfect disciple. You can't. Stop trying. You cannot cause growth. God causes growth. You cannot be the perfect husband. Stop trying. God causes growth. You want to share your faith and help people to become disciples? Good. Stop trying to think about how it's just going to fail and think about, no, not who am I. I could never share my faith. It's whose am I. 
What is my identity? And let your identity drive your duty. Too much our duty drives our identity. Who am I? I'm an engineer. I'm a UVA student. I'm a father. I'm a mother. And when those things go wrong, and you put so much stock in those things, we're destroyed. But if you think about the question of whose am I, it changes the truth to be outside of ourselves. The world says, um, you know, it's funny, I was, um, i, I got to clean that up. I was, I don't know how to do it. Um, I, saw, I saw something recently, um, and I saw a sign in someone's house. You know how you can buy uh, different things at like Target, and it has these little, it's like these wood, wood boards, and it says like, be yourself, and, and ain't no grumpy faces here, stuff like that, in your house, and we're all family, we love each other, stuff like that, you know what I'm talking about, around the house? Um, and I saw one, and it had like eight in a row, and it was like, be yourself, everyone will, will love you for you, and don't try to change for everybody. It was just like down the list of like, and I couldn't help but think that whole thing is just about how I'm cool because of what's inside me. Drew's cool because of Drew. Drew is beautiful in his own way. Which I have no problem believing, by the way. Um, Drew is just, wow, look at him in his own uniqueness. You know, but we take that too far if if our truth is in ourselves. We go, who am I? But then we're we're just going to be, we're just going to be left desolate. We're just going to be left to fail. We're just going to be left anxious and overwhelmed and nerve wracking. But if we think, now, who am I? But whose am I? To whom do I belong? The truth, the value is not in Drew. The value is in someone else. The value is in someone who can actually bring that truth. And when we talk about this, you know, this is a common idea back then. The word grace is a com- is a, it was a word that was basically used. It basically uh, was already in use. Uh, Paul, when he wrote the Bible, uh, wrote his books of the Bible, didn't invent the word grace. He borrowed it from how it was already being used. Grace is, is just kadis. It's, it's thanks. Grace is just thanks. In fact, if you go to Greece today and someone gives you something, you would say, Epharisto, which, which is, which is kadis, which is thank you. Thanks. Epharisto, thank you. And so it just means thanks. Grace is thanks. Gratitude. Now, gratitude was so important back then because if someone gave you a gift, it was so important that, you, I mean, it was unthinkable to be un, ungrateful. In fact, there's no law in Greco-Roman culture. There's no law of how to deal with an ingra- ungrateful person because it was so unthinkable. No one could even, like it, was, it didn't even cross anybody's mind. To receive a gift and then be ungrateful, you, I mean, it was just despicable. And so this is how it worked, is you'd receive a gift, you'd be grateful, and you'd have loyalty to that person, which is how it works today a lot of the times. Someone does something incredible for you, right? If your mom is sick and no one's visiting you in the hospital, and a friend comes and spends hours with you crying, then for, for the rest of your life, you're probably, I mean, you love that person. You have a loyalty to that person. They, they gave you a gift. There's a bond there. To be ungrateful to that person would be unthinkable. And so this is the same idea. And when we think about not who am I, but whose am I, it's then about gratitude. It's about, I belong to Jesus. I'm just grateful to belong to Jesus. I'm thankful for what he did for me. And then actually the task and the work and the labor becomes very easy. And we get to hold our head high in honor. When we ask ourselves, who am I? We can leave the house in the morning and go, who am I? I'm just some, some single mom whose marriage fell apart. My kids are going nuts. I'm some single dad. You know, people, I, I lost my job. You know, I'm just, I'm just a, sure, I'm sure I'm married, but my marriage is it's just a lie. It's a facade. We're not going deep. I, what, who am I? How could I share my faith today? How could I be kind today? 
How could I even go to midweek today? How could I go to church? Who am I? We think that way. And we don't hold our head high in honor. We hang our head. We hang our head. And, and, and the task seems overwhelming and daunting. But when you leave the house thinking, you know what? Who am I? I've been, and the passage says that we've been all given our own special task. We've all been given our own labor to do. When you're rewarded according to your effort, oh my gosh, I, even saying that right now, I just feel better. Yeah. How's your effort this morning? How's your labor? You can say, well, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm just not a very pure guy. Yeah, but how's your effort in purity? Yeah. I'm just not a very evangelistic person. I don't, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not an extrovert. Yeah, but how's your effort? You've been trying. Have you given it a shot? Because if you're not even trying, you're not, you're not focused on Jesus. You're focused on yourself. And you can hide all you want in the fake humility of I'm just nothing. But at the end of the day, it's just faithlessness or laziness wrapped up in a facade. But if we're able to be able to say, wow, to whom do I belong? I belong to Christ. It is so easy to just simply after church today say, I want to get baptized. You know how easy it is to get baptized? It's really, really easy. We just have to first admit that we're dead. That's really hard to admit that you're dead. To let yourself die. You know how easy it is to be open with people? It's really easy. We just have to first get ourselves out of the way. Everything is difficult because of us. But if we just think, you know what? Confession is not about what this person, how this person responds. Confession is because it's the right thing to do. I belong to Christ. He confessed. I should confess. You know, I blew it. If people knew, you know, but you know what? God already knows. And he's willing to reward me according to my effort, according to how much I try, according to my, how much I want to give. You could fail your whole life, but God will say, well done, good and faithful servant. You could never convert anybody. You could struggle with sin your entire life. You could bounce here and there. The world could look at you and go, wow, what a failure. And God goes, that's my child. That's my daughter. I'm going to reward that daughter according to how much she has worked, how much she has tried, how much she never gave up. Never gave up. She never quit. She hung in there her whole life, regardless of what happened to her. And that is a beautiful, encouraging thing. And finally, I want to close out with a quote from a guy named Seneca back in those days. You know, we talk about this idea of gratitude. A lot of times gratitude was um, being able to give any kind of material possession or friendship, right? But a lot of times people couldn't afford it. And maybe even with special contribution, you may feel like, well, I can't can't afford to do very much for special contribution. I just don't have very much money. What's incredible about what Seneca says, Seneca says, if you're unable to pay to be grateful for the gift you've received, the one thing you can do is spend your time making that person's name famous. Let them be known everywhere for the gift they've given you. And that's something I think we can think, right? As we go, how could I really repay Jesus for what he did? We can't. You never can but we can make his name famous. We can make his name in Charlottesville, in Harrisonburg, wherever we come from, famous for what he's done for us. And you know what's amazing about being rewarded according to your labor is when it fails, and by the way, we're all human, we will fail, probably today, you won't be crushed. You won't say, oh, I tried sharing my faith. Drew's a liar, it didn't go well, I'm out, baby. Being a disciple's hard. I thought it was gonna be easy, it's hard. Ah, I'm out. I'm going to the fancy church with the nice stuff. You can do that. With the, with the video games in the back of the seat in front of you, I'm going there. They meet my needs. 
you could do that, right? But when your when your reward according to your effort it goes, you know what? Jesus was also met with an amazing lack of result. How much did G- how much was Jesus actually going? You know what? If I do this, I'm going to have amazing results. Jesus had almost nobody at his death. His best friends abandoned. I mean, in terms of results. The world and the great and Satan's great victory, Satan's apparent victory on the cross. That's your Jesus. I killed him. He's got no friends, no followers, no mega church. Congrats on your victory, Jesus. But Jesus did not do it because of the results. He did it because he loved and obeyed God. It was not about the results. It was about the process. It was about the means. It was about doing what's godly, doing what's right. And in a world where that has gone to the wayside, let it be that all of us leave today and hold our head up high every day this week, honored by Christ, honored that he has chosen us, that we belong to him. And every time we ask ourselves, ask ourselves, whose am I? We cast a vote for our identity. We remind, whose am I? Whose am I? So instead of who am I? I'm nothing every day, a thousand times. It's whose am I every day, a thousand times that begins in the morning with our quiet times. And that's what people are drawn to. Not somebody who's charismatic or good-looking or strong or appealing or knows everything about the Bible. Um, the most evangelistic people I know are not the ones who win Bible trivia bowls. It's not about that. People are drawn when they see a person who's willing to do what's right, when they see a person who's willing to put themselves to the side because it's not about them, it's about Jesus. Church, let's go about that way together. Let's hold ourselves high this week. Let's hold our head up high. We realize the good work that God has given us to do. And I want to ask you this morning, what good work has God given you to do? Each person in this room has been given a task. What is that task? Don't fall into the trap of God loves me, therefore I'll be lazy. Or God's grace, therefore I'll be lazy. God's grace, therefore, how can I work hard? How can I labor? Because we have a God who doesn't reward us according to our results, but according to our labor. And that is an encouraging thought. So we'll go ahead and say a prayer. We'll take the bread and juice um, for communion. After that, we will have a final song and pray for the food and head over. But for now, let's take the bread and juice and get our hearts ready to take communion. Let's bow our heads. Uh, Dear Father God, God, thank you for giving us the gift. God, thank you for giving us Christ, even though... He was not driven, God, by what the result will be, what the bottom line will be, God, but he, he loved us and he loved you, Father, so much. He knew who his father was. God, I pray this morning that we can know who our father is. God, I pray if there's any of us in here this morning that have not yet made the decision to become a disciple, that we can simply just make that decision. That, God, I pray that we can know this morning that repentance is simply a decision. God, it's not about us. It's not about our abilities. God, I pray that we can know that. I pray that there are people in this room today, God, who, whose hearts can be pricked by no one else but you, whose hearts can be pricked by your Holy Spirit. God, I pray if there are, are those of us this morning who have become disciples, that we do not consider ourselves uh, free from this. Uh, God, that we can easily fall back into the same thinking. God, I pray for us that, that we do not hang our hat on our performance. God, I pray that we do not hang our hat on our abilities. God, I pray that we don't take pride in what we do and how we do it. God, I pray that we can take pride in who we belong to. God, thank you for loving us. Thanks for being our father. And by the way, thanks as Mother's Day approaches, God, thanks for being our mother. Thanks for being our parent, God. Thanks for loving us. Thanks for being that for us, uh, God, because we, we know we need it as we go through this world. 
God through the ebb and flow of the oceans of turmoil God in, our, in the political God world, in a social world God, in our neighborhoods God, as prejudice swirls around us God, as social inequality and financial and economic inequality swirl around us God, I pray that we can be your people I pray we can be a light to those in darkness, uh, God I pray that we can remember who we are because we belong to you uh, God, that we belong to your son in your son's name we pray, amen